I'm joined with the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Greg Foss. Don't listen to the conflicted guys like Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett. They do not have your best interests in mind. They have done nothing but benefit from the Fiat Ponzi themselves. If they own any of Western Union or PayPal, both of those things which are like, see ya guys. Like Western Union is so gone, it's not funny. PayPal, what a bunch of absolute woke tards, right? Like never so easy in my life to convince people about QE Infinity, and yet you still get this blank look on their face. Don't listen to these idiot academics. Listen to people who have actually sat in risk chairs. So the US Treasury doesn't default, but other peripheral countries do default, and then it becomes a game of dominoes. It's only mathematics, you fucking idiots, okay? Please, I swear because I care. It is adult swim only, okay? This is not markets for the kids. What makes me proud is to be part of the Bitcoin community full of truth, full of people who see hope and freedom in a better monetary system. Welcome back to the Fix the Money, Fix the World podcast that is brought to you by Amber, the best Bitcoin only company that I use to buy my Bitcoin. And today, as you guys can probably tell, you're about to listen to an interview uh, that I had the pleasure of recording with the one and the only Greg Foss. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know who Greg Foss is, um, obviously he brings 30 years of experience to the Bitcoin space. He's done it all. He's traded government bonds. He's traded high yield debt. Um, he's managed millions and millions of dollars in his, uh, in his legacy financial career. And obviously he has now left that all behind and he's dedicating his life to educating people about Bitcoin. So in this interview, uh, we talk about everything that's been happening in the global financial markets. We talk about the crashing real estate market, the crashing bond market, why central banks all around the world are going bankrupt and which banks we should be watching uh, for signs of stress uh, that is popping up in the system. Uh, so a little bit of housekeeping, anyone who's listening in on the Apple Podcasts or maybe Spotify uh, applications, this is just a little reminder, this is a video uh, interview. So if you guys head on over to YouTube, you'll be able to see all of the charts and graphs uh, that Greg Foss and I are talking about. Links to the YouTube video will be in the description. Um, or you can just search uh, Bitcoin Made Simple into the YouTube search bar and we'll pop up. And if you do like the video, feel free to like the video on YouTube and subscribe to the channel. Um, I have lots of very, very interesting uh, interviews coming down the pipeline and I am pretty thrilled to be partnering up uh, with Amber, who is going to really help boost the uh, production quality um, of the videos I've been pumping out. So um, if any of that sounds interesting, stay tuned. And I really do hope you're going to enjoy this interview with the one and the only Greg Foss. Welcome back to the Fix the Money, Fix the World podcast, everyone. I am joined by a man who needs absolutely no introduction. Uh, I'm joined with the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Greg Foss. How are you doing today, my friend? Well, that's a kind introduction. I'm not sure I'm any of those other things. I'm just a concerned, fat old white guy who's uh, trying to help out the, the, the kids, the future kids. So uh, thanks for having me back. I'm just a concerned 25-year-old Australian gringo with a shitty haircut who is also concerned about the state of the financial system. Um, Greg, for anyone who might have been living under a rock and is not familiar with your background, I will actually implore the listeners to head on over to a conversation we had a year ago. Um, now, it was actually funny. The conversation we had a year ago was October 15th. So it's October 10th today. So nearly a year to the day that we had that conversation. Isn't that something? Well, the world, a lot has happened, eh? In the last, uh, in the last 360 days, I guess. A lot has happened, and I actually want to bring up a chart from the very day that we had that conversation. I've got a chart of the TLT 
20-year bond there. And you could, you could see I've kind of marked on the chart where we had that conversation, October 2021. And if I were to set the stage for the listeners and the viewers, uh, back then in October, inflation was transitory. Uh, bonds were, you know, they were still considered somewhat of a safe haven asset. And FOSS, you were screaming from the rooftops saying owning a bond is probably the worst thing you can do. So we can obviously see what happened to the TLT US 20-year bond since then. The thing's lost a good 40% of its value. Uh, stocks and bonds are down something like $37 trillion in the past Crazy. 12 months alone. So this chart kind of shows the decimation that's happened to the stock and the bond market. Greg, this is probably a good point to just kind of jump off at. Um, how do you see the events of the past nine months? Um, obviously, the Fed's been hiking rates. Um, we're in a different environment. Um, what, how do you, what's your synopsis of what's happened over the past year? Well, you know, quite honestly, uh, I did, I'm even surprised myself by the depths of the destruction uh, in global financial assets. Uh, this is the first time in history that uh, bonds and the NASDAQ, now I'm being very careful to say the NASDAQ, are down greater than 25% in unison. And the reason is the NASDAQ has only existed for like 40 years, okay? If you go all the way back to treasuries uh, correlated to the Dow Industrials, there have been other times like this. But the magnitude of the wealth destruction is unprecedented in our, and certainly in my history. Uh, I've only been trading financial assets since 1988. Uh, in 1988, interest rates were double digits for US 10-year treasuries and Strangely enough, CPI inflation was actually lower than it is today, yet U.S. Treasury 10-year yields were over 12%. So it just shows you the dislocation between yesteryear and today where we have CPI over 8% and 10-year U.S. Treasury yields still under 4%. Okay, there's a lot more room for bond markets to drop if in fact the Fed is hell bent on, uh, you know, stopping inflation in its tracks. Now the reality is, Luke, um, it's no longer an inflation concern for the world. It's becoming a credit risk concern. There are actually more and more people who are worried that the United that the UK gilt market is on its way to default. And if that happens, you'll see contagion move into the European Union. From there, contagion will move into the U.S. Treasury market. And it's a world where inflation risk is not now not the main concern. It's actually credit quality risk of your sovereign nations. Now, having spent my entire life in credit, trading credit markets, I will assure you that debt is a game of confidence. And once you lose the confidence of the debt investor, it's almost impossible to get it back. Okay. It's an asymmetric trade to the downside. Bonds are uh, bought by people who are pessimists. Why? Well, because the best you can do when you buy a bond, that new issue, is you buy the bond at 100 cents on the dollar and you hope that that coupon is high enough to reward you for all the risks that are in the bond contract. And those risks include inflation risk. They include a degree of liquidity risk. And they include credit risk. Now, the credit risk component for, for sovereign debt has been pretty small. 
until now, until you will start seeing G20 nations defaulting regularly, and the big day will come when a G7 nation defaults, okay? That contagion will cause people who buy bonds as pessimists at 100 cents on the dollar to say, why am I buying this asymmetric to the downside return instrument? I need to get paid more, which means the coupon has to go higher. And if the coupon goes higher, it means that the debt spiral that we are already in accelerates faster because you have to pay more interest expense on your debt. It's the absolute definition of a debt spiral that I was on the top yelling, uh, you know, sell your bonds. This was when on your chart, I don't remember what it is, but I know I've been short TLT since 156. Okay. TLT is now trading under a hundred today, even though the bond market is not open. The TLT unit, which trades on the Toronto stock, uh, sorry, the New York Stock Exchange is, um, sorry about my phone just went off. Uh, the, the TLT, which trades on the New York Stock Exchange is traded by retail mom and pop investors who are like, oh my God, I cannot believe this. So Mark Moss, both of our good friend, who you used to, uh, who you used to work with, had a conference in Dallas, Texas, or I'm sorry, the first one I attended for Mark was in uh, Miami, right around Christmas time, right around December, if I'm not mistaken, 2021. And I got on stage with a guy by the name of Steven Van Meter, and he's a Bond bull. And then there's Harry Dent, who's a Bond bull. And I basically said, you fucking knuckleheads failed mathematics, okay? And, you know, they're like, oh, he doesn't know what he's talking about, you know, deflation, all that. No, I'm sorry, gents, you guys had the glue bag on your head, okay? Bonds are not risk-free. Bonds have become a liability for pension funds. If you are in the UK, you have just marked down your long treasury holdings by over 50% in one year. And the worst part is the pension plans levered their bonds. They use three times leverage. So what's three times 50%, Luke? They've lost over 150% on that particular slice of their pension portfolio, which means they're taking returns from other assets like equities, which are also getting destroyed, okay? This is a game of whack-a-mole because the whole world is built on leverage. And it's really criminal that the people that suffer are the pensioners who entrusted their funds with these risk managers who were wholly irresponsible, partially because they'd been lulled into sleep. And here's how I bring everything back to, when I started in 1988, yields were 12%. They went all the way down in the US 10 year to under 1%. And people who were buying them at 1% said, it's gonna go negative, gonna go negative. Man. You don't understand if a bond has a negative yield, it's no longer an asset. It's a liability. You're giving somebody money to get less money back. How in God's earth did these people not figure this out? Anyway, I'm not gloating at the losses. I'm just saying one year ago, you and I talked about this. Now, the biggest concern I have, once again, I need people to understand this. I don't believe the U.S. Treasury is close to defaulting, but the credit metrics look absolutely horrible. 
They look horrible because they are not even raising enough money to cover their interest expense one time, which means after they pay entitlements and military spending out of the revenues they get from the government, the, the, the residual amount doesn't even cover the interest expense, which means the amount of interest expense that's not covered has to be funded by continuously rolling debt. Well, what happens if people don't show up to buy the debt of the U.S. Treasury? Well, we know what happens. The Fed has to step in. The problem is in the total, in the whole world, there is not enough buyers of debt. The U.S. Treasury could crowd out buyers to other countries. So the U.S. Treasury doesn't default, but other peripheral countries do default. And then it becomes a game of dominoes. It's only mathematics, you fucking idiots, okay? Please, I swear because I care. I am not saying this is over by any means. In fact, it's only the first or second inning of this debt spiral. The Fed has two options, okay? One, destroy the world and put it in global depression because they continually, continuously raise interest rates or accept that they have to let inflation out of the bag. Do not raise rates at the pace that they are. Essentially pivot, when I say pivot, redefine their tightening process. Probably have to uh, set different um, uh, inflation targets, okay? So instead of 2% annually, they might have to move it to 4 to 5%. But in doing so, the world economy comes away from the brink. Now, what does that mean for us Bitcoiners? Look, it just means QE infinity, <laughs> It's, it's never been so clear, never so easy in my life to convince people about QE infinity. And yet you still get this blank look on their face like, but, but Paul Krugman told me, but, but some other idiot academic told me, no, 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 no. Don't listen to these idiot academics. Listen to people who have actually sat in risk chairs. Okay. And understand that risk happens fast. And once you have damaged the confidence of global bond investors, I'm not sure it comes back. And when it does come back, they better get paid handsomely for participating in this Fiat Ponzi. Because that's it. It's a Fiat Ponzi. XOX, Jamie Dimon, please learn math as well, sir. You are part of the Fiat Ponzi. He really hasn't done his math, Fossey. And, you know, that's what we love about you. You swear because you care. Not enough people do care about the state of the financial system. Um, I did want to bring up this uh, great chart that was in a James Lavish uh, thread. It's actually the one about the debt spiral. So you mentioned the debt spiral and how the United States is simply just in an irreversible... Oh, cool. I haven't seen that one yet. But, yeah, so James and I, let, let me be very clear. James and I are quite close. Uh, in that we talk all the time. I was the guy that in fact nudged him to write a paper on the debt spiral. Okay, because people have heard me yelling from the hilltops for too long. I wrote my own paper on it 20, 20 months ago. Uh, James is a new new kid on the block. He doesn't quite, he's not nearly as, uh, as what's the word, uh, you know, acidic as I am or, or you know, uh, rough around the edges, right? Like he's much more polite He's from Yale, okay? I'm from Cornell, so I know it doesn't mean anything to you, but like uh, Yale is like the really prissy white boy uh, 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 in Ivy League school, and I'm from Cornell, which is still white boy, prissy, 
uh, Ivy League cuck, but I'm a little more, bit more rude because uh, we're we're from upstate New York, whereas he's down in uh, in uh, Princeton, uh, New Jersey. So, oh no, sorry, Yale's in Connecticut. Anyway, here's the here's the thing. Like we we both see the world the same way. We both start our analysis with a credit focus because both of us have spent most of our careers in that. And I'll just summarize it here without having seen that particular thread. Given that I traded junk bonds my whole life, okay, high yield junk debt, I know very important credit metrics for a company such that if I see those credit metrics, I can easily say, oh yeah, this is a triple B company, this is a double B company, this is a single B company, etc. Well, if the United States were a corporation, apples to apples, based on its credit metrics, it would be rated triple C. Luke. Now, I know that might be lost on you, but what that means is it is one level from default in the context of how you define credit quality in a corporate scenario. Now, obviously, S&P and Moody's and Fitch and all these other conflicted rating agencies give the USA a higher rating because they can print money. But the problem is you can't print money forever. Eventually, getting paid back in worthless money ends up meaning the money gets shoveled to the curve, the curb, like you've seen in Venezuela. And you guys can go up and down. Oh, my God, this would never happen in the USA. Oh, my God. Wrong. Okay? Because confidence is a global game. So just be careful. I'm not... I do not want the USA to fail. I need to be clear about that. You're an Aussie. I'm a Canadian. Both of us would be so fucked if the USA failed. It wouldn't be funny. So I'm rooting for the USA. But you need to call out the Ponzi. You need to call out the reality of the mathematics. That's all I can do. I've been doing it for 20 months. I will tell you that a lot of people have sent me personal emails and direct messaging dms on twitter thank you so much i got my parents out of bonds 18 months ago and i'm not you know all i can say is call the risks like i see them okay bonds are the world's largest asset class or debt i should say is the largest asset class in the world if that asset class has lost approximately 15%, which it has, $400 trillion of global debt has lost 15% of its value. That is $60 trillion globally that has been vaporized because the asset managers managing that debt were blind to the reality. They've been lulled into sleep over a 40-year time period. And it's actually criminal. So I'm going to continue to call out the bond bulls. I'm not bearish bonds right now like I was. But that being said, the TLT is down 60% from, well, I guess, you know, what's 50 bucks on 150? So it's only down 33%. But there are other bonds that are down 50%. That's not risk-free, people. If you think losing... 33% of your money is risk-free investing. Oh my God, please go back to your shitty school and put the glue bag on your head and inhale the Krugman 
economic diarrhea, okay? The guy is an absolute farce when it comes to risk management. Couldn't agree more, Foss. I uh, don't know what Krugman's been smoking or inhaling, but it's not helping his brain cells out too much. Um, you mentioned uh, CDS there when you were talking about debt, and I couldn't agree more. I think the debt market is, it's obviously the, what do they say, the 900-pound elephant in the room? Is that the same? Yeah. It always is. Yeah. Yeah, and like we're watching, it's not only corporate debt these days blowing up. You mentioned uh, the Bank of England earlier. So I brought up your favorite website because I think before you came across um, into the whole Bitcoin space, nobody was talking about credit default swaps. So I'm going to pull up a chart of all of the credit default swaps of the countries around the world. And I want to highlight one in particular because you did mention uh, the UK. So obviously we can see that the, the chance of the, Brit, the Brits defaulting on their debt has increased by, is that 200% in the past 12 months alone? That's all good. Yeah, well, let's focus on that. Now, don't forget, it's still a low probability of default, Luke. And I, I don't want the UK to default either. But the, re, the truth is that these are real losses that have been experienced by bondholders. And there is a instrument that, tra that trades, which is like insurance. And it is open market insurance on un, um, uh, the unmanipulated uh, price of insuring your debt. So the, the UK there, let's just walk through what it meant. The UK was at 42 basis points, okay? What that means is it costs you on $10 million of debt, okay? It costs you $42,000 a year to insure $10 million worth of debt. Doesn't seem like a huge amount, but when that debt, when that cost used to be 18 basis points or $18,000, if you had bought the insurance product at $18,000 and now it's trading at $42,000, you've done pretty well. You can resell that contract and you can make the difference in price. Okay, that's how these things trade. And all of them reflect a probability of default. And if you go back to the original chart, I'll walk through how low the probability is still. Down, down. Okay, right there. You see probability of default protect, uh, percentage. It's the, uh, the, the, the second to last one from the right-hand side as we're looking at it. Okay, that's the probability of default on the United Kingdom. So if you go down, or on all the different countries, if you go down to United Kingdom, which was at 42 basis points, what is that probability of default? 0.7% today as of the 10th. Okay, that's like, see, it's still less than 1%. So it's not like it's an absolute chase the ambulance down the road, but then you go to Turkey. What's Turkey's probability of default right at the bottom? 12.6. 12%. Okay, if you're living in Turkey, those odds are very severe because once you get over about a 15 to 20% probability, these things are self-fulfilling prophecies. Okay, so I don't want to go into the math of... Uh, uh, of this whole thing. But one thing I want to point out there is Canada is actually a stale quote. Canada is actually at about the same price as the USA, as, as the United Kingdom, not 32. It's actually closer to 42 right now. If you look on a, uh, on a, so 42 basis points, that's the CDS spread. If you look on a Bloomberg, well, Canada's still rated AAA. What a goof, right? 
What a goof. The market is telling you that it's just as risky as the, U as the United Kingdom, which has a double A credit rating. Yet Canada maintains its triple A credit rating falsely by the rating agencies. Where have we heard this happen before? Oh yeah, during the subprime mortgage crisis. Okay, so this is how these things play out, people. Okay, the rating agencies realized they're actually criminal elements, criminal participants in this, and they have to say, oh my God, I finally got to cover my ass. We're going we're gonna to downgrade these guys. And as soon as they downgrade them, there are funds in the world that are not allowed to own any debt that is rated less than AAA. So they have to sell. It's in their mandate. So then they become a seller, and then other people are like, oh my God, what's happening to Canada? And it just soars, okay? Saw it during the subprime mortgage crisis when these mistakenly rated triple A instruments all, you know, uh, got um, uh, flushed. Well, I don't want the same thing to happen to Canada, but let me tell you, the chances of it happening in Canada are very severe right now, particularly since we have a buffoon as a prime minister who has said things like budgets will balance themselves, right? If you're a credit guy and this is the CEO of the country you've invested in and he doesn't give a shit about your money, he's like, oh, don't worry. The, the budget's going to balance itself. You're like, sold to you. I don't want any of your shitty management prowess overseeing my investment in your country. So this is how things unravel. Um, Luke, you're 25 years old, man. I don't want this to happen. My oldest boy is 26. So I actually have a son who's one year older than you. And I only want to solve this for the kids, okay? For kids your age who don't deserve the irresponsible management that has taken place up until this point, such that we are pulling forward, fat old white guys like me are pulling forward gains that should be accruing to you guys. So this is why I'm calling it out. There's other people in this space like James Lavish, who's not afraid to tell the truth. Larry Lapard, Mark Moss, you and Mark work together in California. I have enormous respect for these people that are not afraid to call out the Ponzi and to in fact tell the truth about how these spoiled cantillionaires like Ben fucking Bernanke gets the Nobel Prize? Like, this is criminal. And he's the one pulling forward gains at the expense of the kids. It is a absolute abomination of circular logic and old white guys sitting around in a room patting each other on the ass saying oh great job ben you bailed us out now jay pow pow is going to try and do the same thing but he's going to collapse the whole world as it goes and you know i'm just sick of it i've i've had it uh i have nothing to lose i've made my career in the fiat ponzi i'm not proud of it but that being said you know what i didn't know any difference until i found bitcoin so I hope you're enjoying the podcast. I wanted to quickly interrupt it and give you guys a quick little grade 11 maths lesson. And of course, thank today's show sponsor, who is Amber. So Greg Foss always talks about this simple grade 11 mathematics. And I think a lot of people are underestimating the long-term potential of Bitcoin because if you run the numbers and if Greg Foss is correct and Bitcoin hits $2 million like he believes it will do in the future, that means every single $1 that you put into Bitcoin today we work $100 in purchasing power in the future. And today's a very special day because thanks to Amber, anyone who signs up with Amber is going to get $10 of free Bitcoin 
if they use the link in the description of this video. Um, I'm really glad to be working with Amber. They're a Bitcoin only company and I will only ever endorse companies that I use myself. So if you guys want $10 of free Bitcoin, that I think will be worth $1,000 of free Bitcoin in the future, um, click the link in the description and go sign up with Amber. They're a great company. Check them out. Without further ado, I really hope you enjoy the rest of the podcast. Yeah, no, that's a great point. The amount of debt we're putting on our kids, uh, I think that that kind of goes lost on a lot of people. I was looking at some charts that were on Twitter the other day, and I think if you actually add up all the debt in the United States and you divide that by the, the number of people, I think each person has hundreds of thousands of debt that they need to pay in the future. Yeah, $600,000 per U.S. citizen. That's outrageous. I didn't even know it was that high. That's really scary. That's really, really scary. But that's what it's all about. We need to fix. Well, do me yep. a favor. Go go to this website right now called US, usdebtclock.org. It's one of my favorites. We're going to bring that one up. And it actually, it's a really good uh, website. It does break everything down in terms of the US debt. I think we surpassed 31 trillion recently. Uh, we did, yeah. We're over 31 trillion. But here's where I want to show you the debt owed by each citizen. Okay, so there you go per citizen at the top left-hand side, debt per taxpayer, right? 247. Yeah. That's outrageous. But now go down to the bottom left-hand side. The bottom right-hand side, rather, because you have to include unfunded debt there. And add those two together. Yeah. 500 plus 247, $700,000. Per citizen. It's absolutely outrageous. Well, no, it's just, it's, it's unsustainable. It, it will never get paid back. This is why we need Bitcoin. Okay. And you can look at any other country there as well, because it doesn't just have USA there. It has Canada. It has uh, pull up Canada for an example, if you want. Actually, don't do it. No one gives a shit about Canada. <laughs> but at the end of the day, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just, it's absolutely crazy. It's absolutely crazy. So we have to call out this, uh, this Ponzi, Luke. We, damn right we do. Damn right we do. And I think um, that's probably a good point to have a look at um, Credit Suisse. Because I think earlier you touched on the European oh, uh, banking system and how fragile they are looking. Uh, so this is a tweet I think you did. It's just earlier this week. And it's kind of showing the chance of default for Credit, D, uh, for credit Suisse going through the roof. So it's not just sovereign nations who are having their CDSs blow up. Blow up. You're watching some of the largest banks in Europe uh, potentially look on the edge. Uh, Foss, what are your thoughts on Credit Suisse and Deutsche Bank and a lot of the uh, big banks in Europe right now that are, appear to be having some pretty big issues? Yeah, so look, in credit, the biggest risk is contagion, okay? It's contagion because shit flows up, meaning mm. since banks are supposed to be too big to fail, they will be backed by their nation state, when I say shit flows up, it's because it flows to the highest credit rung on the risk ladder, okay? And shit is flowing uphill. And Credit Suisse, well, let's play the Deutsche Bank game. Credit Suisse is in big trouble, okay? Their credit default swaps are uh, 350 basis points in the five-year term. Uh, it in, that implies a cost of funding where you have to take the overnight rate of the Fed plus add on the 350 basis points, you have 325 basis points from the Fed plus another 350 basis points for the uh, uh, for the uh, CDS or Credit Suisse, you're talking 7% funding, 
you, you don't fund yourself at 7% and survive for a long time, okay? Because the cost of borrowing eats into your lending margin. So let's say you're paying 7% to borrow money from people and you're turning around and lending that money at 7.5%. You're only making 50 basis points, but 7.5% counterparties are junk bond counterparties right now. If you turned around and borrowed at seven and a half, sorry, if you borrowed at seven and a half percent and turned around and lent to the U.S. Treasury at U.S. 10-year rates, you're losing 300 basis points a year. Now, that's not a great trade. So just understand this is how contagion works. So if Deutsche Bank fails, needs to be nationalized, Germany has to bail out Deutsche Bank, what do you think happens to the credit quality of Germany? Well, it goes down more. What does that mean for the EU? Their sugar daddy all of a sudden isn't as, as much of a rich sugar daddy anymore. So then Italy basically says, I've had it with you guys. I'm leaving the EU. And that whole Ponzi collapses. So that's why contagion within the debt markets is so important. Confidence, contagion, those two words are synonymous. Anyway, shit flows uphill. We've reached the top rung of the ladder. We have just transferred risk to the very top levels, which are sovereign creditors. And the world is getting more concerned with the sovereign credit quality, especially when the big banks that are underneath them, that are quote unquote too big to fail, will make the credit quality of the sovereign borrower, the top rung of the risk ladder, more risky. The contagion will expand. It will accelerate. Equities, by the way, see ya. Like, everyone's worried about equities. Don't even play around in the equity markets until the credit markets settle themselves out, okay? Credit runs the world. Don't listen to idiot equity analysts that say, oh, you got to buy Intel here because it's cheap on a historical basis. Jim Cramer's an absolute moron, okay? He has no clue how credit markets work. Most people listen to him at 6 o'clock at night and all this drivel and all this trash talk he has, he doesn't know debt markets. He has zero experience in debt markets, yet debt markets are what controls the world. Anyway, I've seen it. I've, I've seen this movie play out four times in my career. Uh, just to reiterate, started with Latin American debt crisis, then was long-term capital management, then was the great financial crisis of 2000. And eight, 2009. Then was the COVID crisis. That thing was too quick, though. That wasn't a true uh, flushing of the system. Now we're at the flushing of the system point, okay? The fifth one that I'm living through. And I'll just tell you, don't even try and predict what's going to happen to equities until you understand what's going on in the debt markets. Foss, a um, couple of things. Quick question. You mentioned that Germany, and Germany obviously being a little bit of a sugar daddy for Europe. Uh, what odds do you put on countries like Germany or even Italy uh, trying to break away from the European Euro? It's not a 0% chance, mm. right? You got to play those risk, uh, those tail risks. And uh, I say as uh, things get worse, the chance of EU breaking up just becomes more mathematically uh, inclined, right? Like Germany used to be a manufacturing hub that didn't control their energy costs. So guess what? Their PPI is up 46% year over year, producer price index. Like guys, that's a not a good business, okay? When your input costs are up 46% year over year, um, something's not good about that business. And the problem with Germany was they were hostage to energy. They did not 
construct nuclear power plants like France did, and hence they are captive to natural gas prices. Guess what? Predominantly out of Russia, you know, not exactly a friendly counterparty. So it's just absolute, you know, again, a game of whack-a-mole. Oh, you're invoking this pain on me, therefore I'm going to invoke this pain on you. Ah, you know, who are the people that get crushed? Those that are furthest from the money printer. So, um, you know, we haven't said it enough. Bitcoin is the solution. Bitcoin, all paths lead to Bitcoin, as far as I'm concerned. Don't overthink this. Bitcoin is the best risk-adjusted opportunity I have ever seen in the market. And it just got better because what's happening on the other side has become true, meaning the credit contagion, yet the price of Bitcoin has not kept pace with the growth of the risk in the credit contagion. Now, that's due to a lot of things, including, you know, our own Lehman moment. When I say our own, I mean the digital asset space where UST, uh, Terra Luna, that debacle, and then you had Celsius and all these uh, le levered players unwind. And then you had uh, Elon Musk saying he sold his, uh, his uh, Bitcoin. I'll just say this, guys. Bitcoin is so stupid cheap that if you're worried about whether it's going to trade to 15,000 or 25,000, you've missed the whole exercise, okay? This is our insurance on the Fiat Ponzi, and the value of our insurance has just gone up, and we should be quite thankful for the people that aren't involved in Bitcoin yet, that the while the value has gone up, the value of the insurance, the price of that insurance has actually stayed at very attractive levels, in my opinion. That's what I don't understand about all of it, boss. Um, like, I, I don't understand how we get the opportunity to be buying Bitcoin under $20,000 today with the carnage Well, going don't on. overthink it. You know, there's lots of, lots of players in the world that have not done their homework on Bitcoin. There's a cash-settled ETF that uses futures, Bitcoin futures, where you have monkeys that are just graduated from university working on Wall Street and trading Bitcoin as a risk asset correlated to S&P and NASDAQ. They have no clue. They didn't learn about Bitcoin in school. They didn't actually even learn about the own, their own Fiat Ponzi because if they did learn about the Fiat Ponzi banking system in school, the banking system which is levered 30 times to its true risk portfolio, if they did learn about that, they'd be like, holy crap. Banks are super risky. Did you see, Luke, that Bitcoin's volatility is now lower than the Dow Jones Industrial Index? Wow, like if you don't understand the significance of this, you haven't been managing risk in the markets for long enough. So I've just, you know, I just focus on what I know, which is 35 years of risk analysis. And I'll continue to say, if you own zero Bitcoin, you're actually taking a much higher risk than if you own a proper portfolio allocation. What is that proper portfolio allocation? Well, in the case of a 25-year-old kid, it could be pretty high. And if in the case of, I love that article, and in the case of a 65-year-old guy or a 59-year-old guy like I am, um, you know, my allocation to Bitcoin is approximately 25% of my net worth. The difference though, I just tell everybody you should get up to 5%. That means that you have... 120th of your net worth in, yes, a emerging asset class that has proven to be volatile in the past. 
But don't worry about that. Worry about the other 19 out of 20 parts of your portfolio that are not in Bitcoin. That is my biggest concern. If you were in a 60% equities, 40% bond portfolio, well, your 40% bond portfolio has just lost at least 15%, which means you're down 6% on your whole portfolio just because of your bonds and likely much more than that. And that's not a good thing. You need insurance against that. I recommend people need to study Bitcoin, need to know the truth. And that's why guys like me and James Lavish and yourself, we're out there trying to uh, educate people, right? And um, I just, you know, I'm proud to be part of this community that, that tells the truth. Sometimes we feel like a bunch of, uh, you know, what are we? We're uh, chicken littles, right? The sky is falling. The sky is falling. Well, guess what? The sky is falling, okay? Like, I can't tell it any other way. Right now, the sky is falling. And you fucking knuckleheads choose to believe conflicted financial advice and head-in-the-sand thinking like the Fed governors. It's a, it's a crime. It's a crime for our children, okay? It's a very distinct and absolutely motivated to gaslight the population about the truth. So I'm out there. I'm, I'm, you know, I get hate mail. I'm good with it. I, I don't care. Like I'll tell the truth because math does not lie. Okay. You can't fool mathematics. And I just base all of my analysis on mathematics. I try and remove the, uh, emotion from the situation and just look at the pure math. Yeah. That's what it's all about. And a lot of people haven't done their math boss. A lot of people simply haven't. Um, Someone who might have actually done their simple grade 11 math is actually uh, Vladimir Putin. Um, and we actually talked about Putin potentially pricing uh, his very precious oil and energy in Bitcoin in a conversation we had a year ago. I might throw up a quick little clip um, of that little conversation we had a year ago for people listening to this one after the fact. Uh, but you guys can hear Foss was probably one of the first people saying, yep, you know, Putin, it would be a wise decision for him to price his Bitcoin in oil um, and obviously he's come out recently and he said yeah you know what we will we'll, we'll consider accepting your Bitcoin for oil and so I wanted to kind of ask you how the whole uh, geopolitical situation is unfolding um, what are your thoughts about Putin uh, posturing to kind of accept Bitcoin and gold and rubles for his oil and how do you see maybe the West responding to that well let's remove emotion from the, the question because I'm not uh advocating for his uh, war uh, uh, routine uh, against uh, Ukraine. Uh, but to remove emotion from it, uh, as a pure uh, thinker on the economic incentives of what he is trying to accomplish, I couldn't think of a smarter move, okay? It, it accomplishes two things. It, it undermines the petrodollar, the US dollar, the currency, the global reserve currency, but also the currency of his enemy. Uh, and it allows him payment rails that cannot be uh, uh, blocked by international settlement organizations like SWIFT. They can't freeze his U.S. Treasury holdings. I mean, if you were a risk manager sitting in his chair, what would you do? Now, again, I'm not defending his actions like yeah he declared war he's killed people he is a ruthless 
calculator of economic gains versus losses. Those losses are measured in human lives and etc. But if you ask me the question, removing that emotion, what do you think he's thinking? Of course he's thinking that. It's definitely an interesting move. Um, and it's certainly one that kind of, like, yeah, I was expecting it, but I wasn't really expecting it in 2022. Um, things certainly do. I'll agree with that. Yeah. But here's the thing. No disrespect to you, man. You're 25 years old. Like, <laughs> I can't really put a whole lot of weight on what you're expecting, regardless of how much I like you. You just don't have enough experience for me to say, oh, yeah, well, he made a great point because of all his experience. All his experience what? Like, when you were eight years old, that's when, you know, Bitcoin was, well, hold on. You weren't even eight. I guess you were 10 years old when Bitcoin, 10 or 11 years old when Bitcoin was invented, right? Like, like, no, no disrespect, kid, but you don't know shit about fuck, okay? Like, I, I, I love you and everything, but you can't <laughs> listen to that. You got to listen to people who've been around the block. And, uh, you know, I'm not saying I'm the guy that's been around the block, but I have been doing this for 10 years longer than you've been born. Exactly. Like, surely that counts for something. And maybe I always say things like, hey, all I bring to the table is 35 years of mistakes, but at least I learn from those mistakes, right? At least I try and survive to fight another day. So I'm really pleased to be on your podcast and everything, and I'm not trying to belittle you by any means. What we need are more guys, the, the generation of Larry Lapard, of Max Kaiser, of Gary Leyland, you know, myself, I'm a little bit younger than those guys. Like, they're really old, okay? You tell them that they're really old, and Foss is just old, not quite really old like you guys, all right? But all of our breath smells like our assholes, right? Because we're fucking old and we just have, you know, it's just the way life goes. But we've been around the block. We've seen some stuff. And I will just say that more people need to get up there and tell the truth, like a Ray Dalio, okay? Ray Dalio successfully milked the fiat system better than anybody I've ever seen. And I've said this on other podcasts, congratulations, he did a great job. My biggest wish is that his math, which totally aligns to mine, except, I, sh I guess I should say my math aligns to his. He's way more famous than me, but we're both talking about the inevitability of the debt spiral. I can't believe he hasn't figured out Bitcoin yet, truly figured it out. Here's to hoping guys like Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett, who are way too old to figure it out, time will take care of them, okay? See you, Charlie Munger. Don't buy green, don't buy green bananas. That's an old joke uh, because maybe you won't be around for the bananas to uh, ripen, right? Like, I mean, that's how close he is for, to the world taking, uh, uh, to time taking uh, uh, care of his flawed investment views. And I'm not hoping that happens, but statistics are statistics. We need people to tell the truth and not the people who continue to lie and try and uh, benefit from the Fiat Ponzi. Those people are people like Warren Buffett who own all the bank stocks. Don't listen to the conflicted guys like Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett. They do not have your best interests in mind. They have done nothing but benefit from the Fiat Ponzi themselves. They don't want to say, oh yeah, you better buy Bitcoin because uh, they own all the Bank of America stock and all the, I'm not sure how much if they own any of Western Union or PayPal. Both of those things, which are like, see you guys, like Western Union is so gone, it's not funny. PayPal, keep putting your stupid ass foot in your mouth and say that we're going to control how you can how, how you can spend your own money and we're going to fine you for misinformation. 
what a bunch of absolute woke tards, right? Like, oh my God, what is the world coming to? So let's keep telling the truth. Um, I'm here to help educate. You can send hate mail to me. I'm fine with it. Uh, but actually, try and send it to Luke, okay? We'll filter my hate mail through Luke, and uh, and we'll we'll go from there. But uh, keep telling the truth, kid. Uh, I'm really proud to work alongside you. The Bitcoin community is such a great group of givers, okay? That's the difference. Bitcoiners tend to be givers when everyone else on Wall Street, about 99% are takers. They're never going to tell you the truth, okay? Because it's not in their interest. They're takers. They are taking from you. They are intermediaries. They are rent seekers that are stealing from the hardworking people of the world. Guess what? It's a great living. How do I know? I did it. Not that proud of it, but I did it. I actually think I did it pretty well. I made quite a good bunch of money for our unit holders, but it doesn't make me proud. What makes me proud is to be part of the Bitcoin community full of truth full of people who see hope and freedom in a better monetary system called the Bitcoin standard. It's such a great point about the Bitcoin community. It's actually something I've noticed as well. Like I've only been mucking around here for a few years, but like the people you meet in the Bitcoin community, they are yeah. helpless. They want to help people. Um, and Foss, obviously that's something you're doing. Um, sure. Well, thanks for bringing it up. Yeah, I'm very proud to be a founding partner of Looking Glass, which is a free education platform. Uh, basically teaching what you don't learn in school because as I mentioned, they can't teach that in school or nobody would deposit their money in the commercial banks. Okay, so here's what I'm concerned with is not enough people are getting the truth so I decided to be part of this uh, education platform. The two main, uh, James Lavish is a contributor. He and I were some of the original founders, but the two main uh, contributors right now, one guy from Canada, Seb Bunny, really great guy. If you haven't talked to him, I, I'd hope you could. And then another guy, an Aussie guy, Daz B, uh, B-E-A. Daz is from uh, Northern Australia. Those two kids, and I say kids, uh, Seb may be a couple of years older than you, and Daz is uh, got to be 40 something, so he's not that much of a kid, but at the end of the day, they're doing really great work. The platform has been translated into various uh, other languages. It's being used in El Salvador for the Mi Primera Bitcoin uh, uh, function. We've actually donated money to the, uh, to the education system in El Salvador. So Mi Primera Bitcoin, where you are right now. Seek it out. Uh, great people are working on that project. And so this is, again, uh, just part of building the... Uh, uh, education and the most important thing let's focus on El Salvador for one minute that country is just crushing it like you're so smart to be living there uh, their tourism is up 10% oh excuse me their GDP on a 28 billion dollar economy which really is pretty small it's not much bigger than the greater Miami area let's say in the United States but just to put it in in, in context uh, their, their $28 billion economy is up 10%. It grew 10% last year on the strengths of tourism, on the strengths of remittances. They went out and they bought billions of dollars of their debt in the open market at 54 cents on the dollar, which means they're able to capture the other 46 cents. That's profit that they don't have to pay 100 cents on the dollar back on that debt when it 
needs to mature. So they can see the revenues coming in. They can adjust the, uh, they can adjust the, um, sorry, they can adjust the uh, um, interest payments, the rollout. They see the revenues. All of this stuff is, is in the advantage of the debt purchaser. And I'm just very bullish on El Salvador. If it was a country, I'd be buying its equities. If I was still in the hedge fund business and I, I talked to Jeff Booth about this, we would have been out there trying to buy the bonds of El Salvador before we um, uh, knew that Bukele would want to buy them back. I'm not trying to front run the, the, the master, but at the end of the day, open markets are open markets, okay? So uh, just, just understand there's different ways of profiting in this, uh, in this game. I think he's playing it like a champ. Okay, huge fan of El Salvador, huge fan of the education system down there. Looking Glass Education is trying to do their part to further the, um, the uh, education globally, uh, but also in small na smaller nations like El Salvador. Uh, very bullish on Central America and, uh, you know, adopting Bitcoin as a legal tender. I think extremely smart. Couldn't agree more, mate. I think education is what it's all about. That's why I'm here in El Salvador, try to orange pill as many Salvadorians as I can. And I would encourage anyone listening in, if you want to learn anything about Bitcoin, head on over to Looking Glass Education. Like, it's a great website. You guys got heaps of really good free content up there. And it kind of starts at a base and works its way up. That's all I like about it. I love you. Um, yeah, let's get together when I'm in El Salvador in about a month. Uh, yeah, probably almost a month from now for the Adopting Bitcoin Conference, all right? Done. Everyone should definitely get on down there. I think there's going to be about 5,000 crazy Bitcoiners in El Salvador. So get on really? down there. Should be a big one. Um, Foss, I want to awesome. be respectful of your time, my friend. I've had you for a little bit over an hour now. Um, it's been a great conversation. Thank you so much for coming back on the podcast. Um, it's always good fun with you. So um, is there any final comments you have or where can people online send that hate mail to you or if they're going to send it to me, <laughs> they, can, they can send it my way too. But any final comments? Yeah, I, I guess my, my number one uh, platform uh, to, you know, I shit post a lot, but I try and bring humor to the, to the equation at times as well. Uh, yeah, I, I've sort of become uh, a bit of a Twitter, uh, I, I hate to use the word uh, influencer, but Twitter is a pretty cool uh, platform. So Foss, Greg Foss, so F-O-S-S, G-R-E-G-F-O-S-S. -S. Uh, LinkedIn, I, I try and maintain a presence there. Uh, you know, I did write this uh, paper that you can find on, uh, on the Looking Glass education platform, why every fixed income investor needs uh, uh, to consider Bitcoin as portfolio insurance. Uh, if you want to learn about bond markets, about credit, it's all there. Uh, very happy to be, to answer questions. Most important, I'll thank you so much. Yeah, that's, uh, that was written 20 months ago, and I think it saved a lot of people a lot of money. Um, yeah. Uh, let's, uh, let's be honest. Uh, we are still in the early innings of the Bitcoin adoption. We're in the early innings of this credit crisis that we are currently living through. Be careful out there, people. It is adult swim only. Okay. This is not markets for the kids or the less, uh, experienced to, uh, to, uh, take huge risks. Don't be a hero dollar cost average into Bitcoin. Don't do it all at once. Keep some powder dry. There are stormy days ahead. Hate to say it, but that's what you get when you have a drunk driver at the Fed. 
I'm just thankful. I'm just thankful we have insurance um, on the Fed's drunk driving. That's what Bitcoin's all about. Uh, Foss, um, I'll definitely be uh, putting a link to a couple of your different articles and uh, that 40 page. Is it a 40 page paper? Um, it's it's not it's not a short. It's it's a it's a tough read, but I wrote it for other portfolio managers, fixed income portfolio managers. But don't, there's there's a Bitcoin magazine interpretation that that uh, brought it down to a different level. Uh, it doesn't matter. Just go out and understand that there are different ways of evaluating risk, and it doesn't happen overnight. The penny doesn't drop overnight. Okay, you have to study this thing. It's not something that you learn in school. And if you're an academic, someone who has all these theories, if unless they've actually sat in a risk chair and realized that their theories are bunk when there's a leverage unwind and pricing models don't work when someone says, I just want my money back. I just don't care how the value is. This is the risk that of the world we're living in right now. So it's a, it's a long and arduous process to live through 35 years of managing risk. I hope I can impart some of that knowledge on people. Uh, again, I've made my share of mistakes, but the important thing is to manage those mistakes and ride your winners. Bitcoin is the best asymmetric investment opportunity I've ever seen. And actually, it's cheaper on a risk reward basis than it ever has been as well. Right now, today, buy some cheap insurance, my best advice, but don't go crazy. Just get more than zero. Okay. I think that's a brilliant note to end the podcast on fast. I couldn't agree more, my friend. Uh, links to everything will be down in the show notes. Links to our previous conversation from nearly a year ago today will also be in the description. Uh, Foss, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for your passion. Uh, thank you for doing what you're doing, my friend. We all love it. I'm off to, I'm off to Bitcoin Amsterdam tonight. So if anyone wants to hook up in Amsterdam, uh, Amsterdam, then Bulgaria, then uh, Edinburgh, Scotland. So a uh, little bit of a busy time. Looking forward to seeing you guys. Thank you so much. Uh, thanks for your time, Foss. It says a lot about you, that you're willing to jump on some random Bitcoiners podcast on the same day you get in on the flight to Amsterdam. So thank you so much, my friend. So what did you guys think of that episode with the one and the only Greg Foss? If you liked it, feel free to like the video, give it a share, and even subscribe to the channel. Do all the things that YouTube makes us do to uh, boost the video up uh, in the YouTube algorithm. But if you didn't like the video, feel free to tell me why in the comments down below. And if you think Foss and I missed anything, feel free. If you have any questions, ask me, um, and I can cover it in an upcoming interview I have uh, coming with the one and the only James Lavish, uh, who is obviously one of Foss's good friends. Um, actually, while we're talking about YouTube, um, did you guys know that I have a BitChute channel? And recently, I actually had a video uh, taken down off YouTube. No strikes, no warnings, no anything. They didn't like what I had to say about China. So I'm going to share my screen and I'm going to give you guys a little bit of an update. Well, guess what, YouTube? I'm posting all my uh, YouTube content to BitChute. Uh, the link to the channel will be in the, uh, the video description. Um, so obviously I got this video here taken down China using tanks to protect their banks um, So obviously there's bank runs in China and the CCP have got uh, the tanks out on the street uh, Defending their uh, banks there to stop the retail bank run. So if you want to actually uh, Hear the truth and, and find out why YouTube censored my video feel free to go check that one out um, But I think that's pretty much all I've got for you guys. Uh, we have a Tom Luongo uh, interview dropping this week uh, so stay tuned for that one. I really hope you enjoy it. And until next time, guys, um, have a good day.
Go and stack some Bitcoin. Get yourself $10 of free Bitcoin uh, with Amber. Okay, they're a great company. Check them out. $10 of free Bitcoin. Who doesn't like free Bitcoin? Um, and that's all I've got for you guys today. Have a good day, um, and I'll see you in the next one.